You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let me tell you about an absolutely amazing product that I found, that I use, that I absolutely love. Theragun. Do not let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or somebody just like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun does not just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. I'm telling you, this product is absolutely amazing. And it's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. Try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash Rome right now. Get your Gen 4 Theragun today. Some of the greatest athletes in the world are using it. You should too. Theragun.com slash Rome. Theragun.com slash Rome. So his agent said, he said, Eli really wants to focus on football. I'm sure you understand. And I basically was like, no, I don't understand shit. He may be richer than me, he may be more famous than me, but I work just as hard as him. And to write a script that works for Eli Manning was not that easy. And Wahlberg was there, which is not normal for him to be at the office, and he's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I, these guys just f***ed me, I'm not sure what to do. He said, what if I'm Brady and I do it? I said, all right, that'll solve all the problems. Hey now, it's cracking. Welcome to episode 171 of the Jim Rome Podcast this week. My guest is the creator, producer, and writer of one of my all-time favorite TV shows, Entourage. It is Doug Allen. Now, to say that I'm pumped for this one would be a huge understatement. Entourage was, and still is, an awesome TV show. It holds up, and Doug goes deep on how it came to be, what it was like when the show was everybody's favorite thing, and then how it felt when the critics turned on it. He also talks about a brand new project. He has Victory, the podcast, which is creating an entire new generation of fans and a grip of nostalgia for everybody like me who watched Entourage in real time. I am stoked to fire this one up, so let's go ahead and get after it. Episode 171 with Doug Allen starts right now. Now, the point of the side hustle, and I'm now about 180 episodes into it, is to have long-form conversations, real conversations that, frankly, I could never have on my daily radio show slash TV show. It's been an absolute blast, but this is one conversation that I've always wanted to have and, to the best of my knowledge, have never actually had, and I'm not even sure why I say this, because he is the creator of one of my all-time favorite TV shows, Entourage. That, of course, is Doug Ellen. Doug, better late than never, if that is the case. My man, how 
How are you, Doug? I'm good. How you doing? Just good. trying to survive, you know? No, I see you working. I get that. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going to go right to it because you are on this podcast. You are now part of a podcast. I'm going to guess that you can pick and choose how you want to spend your time. Running a podcast, as you now know, is not nearly as time-consuming or stressful as running a hit TV show. But it seems to me you're having a blast with Victory, the podcast. Let me start right there. What do you like so much about it, and how are you approaching this particular project? You know what? I'm, I'm loving that I get to get back together with these guys, but I don't have any of the executives telling me what I have to do or say or write. So it's really been great, and it kind of feels like the show, um, but just have a lot of freedom and can talk about whatever I want, and there's no one to answer to. It's just it's fantastic. That is fantastic. Now, what about when Connolly first came to you and he originally pitched you this notion of the podcast, what was your initial reaction? No. Right. <laughs> Honestly, that's my initial reaction normally to anything, but I really didn't want to keep talking about Entourage, and I said if we can do something that isn't just Entourage, Entourage, and that's what it's become, which has been so great. That's actually very interesting to me, that generally the answer is just no regardless, and especially as it relates to Entourage. Now, let me ask you this. You had Charlie Sheen on recently. Number one, how deep was his knowledge of Entourage, and then how did he do? How did he show up on your podcast? So a couple of things. Number one, when he came the first time, he had never seen the show. He watched four episodes before he got there. Um, he came back the second time. He had, a week later, he had watched all 96 episodes and the movie and every behind the scenes. And he came with his A game. He's freaking awesome. I was actually, like I normally say, I was reluctant to even meet with Charlie. I only had thoughts about him from seven, eight years ago. And I was a little like, okay, what's this going to be about? And he is in great shape, great spirits, and he's ready to work. And uh, it was great. And he's actually, we're going to have him come back next week with Piven, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, all right, so how did that come to be? If you were really hesitant initially and you weren't sure you wanted to do it, how did it come to be, and how did he end up on the pod? So, you know, you have a whole system probably in place to make sure you get all these guests to do everything. I don't have that. So I'm like, you know, I don't know if I can see getting into a TV show with Charlie for 10 years, but I'd love to get him on the podcast. <laughs> that would be great. So obviously I'm like, I'll go take the meeting. And I really just, I absolutely love the guy and had such a great time with him that we're actually talking about a, a TV show idea and him coming back to the podcast. Sorry, my Siri is going off for some bizarre reason. By, by the way, every fucking day on my radio show that happens. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess I could turn my phone off, Doug. I don't know. <laughs> it's not my phone. It's that HomePod. I think I said Sheen, right. and they thought I said Siri. But that, that is funny. So was he, how did he, I mean, if you are actually discussing a potential project with him, he must be pretty sharp, pretty focused. Like, where is he at mentally right now? He seems absolutely incredible. He's clear and lucid and smart and funny. And, you know, listen, this is like one of the great iconic actors since I'm a kid that I've always admired and liked. So obviously he had his issues, and I think we all know drugs can really do things to people. But I spoke to a lot of people who know him before that and after that, and including Kevin Dillon, who did Platoon with him. And there's nothing that anybody says but good stuff about him. And now we've become friends over the last month and had lots of conversations and meals, and I, I love the guy. That's really funny. And over what? A podcast. A podcast <laughs> about a show that he had not seen then did that deep dive. Like, I'm curious, like, when you watch old episodes of Entourage, and you do now to prepare for the podcast, how do they hold up for you? And what do you think when you watch the show now? You know what? They hold up well for me, and I'm... And 
again, I don't like to get defensive. History judges what it will judge. But, you know, we know the PC culture, there was kind of a turn on it when the movie came out. The show that was nominated for an Emmy and a Golden Globe every year suddenly was like this misogynistic boys club. And I watch it, and it's exactly what I intended it to be, a show about friendship, loyalty, and family. I think it is very realistic as to what was going on at the time in, in the business. And I feel good about it. Would I curse as much as I did if I wrote it today? Probably not. But, um, you know, I feel, I feel good about it. But everyone will have to judge and decide for themselves what it is, you know? Listen, small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big, big way. But maybe you're not sure exactly where to begin. I'm here to help. Let me introduce to you Grove Collaborative. 70% of people say they want to use natural products, but only 2% actually do. Why is that? Because what they sell at the store is from the biggest companies, not necessarily the ones that are the best for you. So once again, where do you start? You start with Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. You can browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and the planet. Honestly, I wanted to be healthier. I just did not know where to go or where to look. Not for these types of products, but now I do. Grove Collaborative. Join the over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. And shipping is fast and free on your first order. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. And for a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash Rome, you get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome and get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash Rome. You know, you have this revisionist history and times change and people change. I get all that, all right? But I want to say this for the record. I loved the show then. I love the show now. It was always one of my favorites. It was so much fun. And when the show first dropped, when it first started, Doug, it was all the rage. And the critics loved it. And it was the smartest show on TV. It was enormous. And then, and then, to your point, something happened. Then suddenly the smartest show on TV became like, quote, the guilty pleasure. And then somehow much worse than that. And then all of a sudden we go from, at one point, it's the best show on TV to like it's... The worst show ever. Like, exactly what the fuck is that? And as creator and mastermind of this great show, what did you make of that? I mean, honestly, I, I, it's cleared up in my head now what happens. And again, I'm, I'm probably, I probably lean towards being a liberal, so I don't want to have, like, my, my media conspiracy theories here. But there's a certain vibe that runs through the media, and they all jump on the same bandwagon. And they get their voices heard, these critics and these fucking other morons who've never done anything. And they attempt to change the narrative to what they want it to be. And, you know, I, I unfortunately had to go with it. I was like, wow, I guess, uh, I guess uh, it's not going to hold up the way I, I hoped it would. But what I've seen since we started the podcast is a complete reversal of that trend, which is wild. And the people that now come out, including Charlie Sheen, like I was scared for him to watch it and go, yeah, it feels a little dated, it feels this. But he said, I was watching this like it was my life. This, these were experiences that I had that were so realistic to what I went through that I couldn't even believe someone had written them. And, you know, I, I think that 
I've never liked critics, and you have to, like I, like I said, it was one of the great moments of my life when the New York Times said we were the smartest show on TV, and we probably weren't, but we were never the worst show on TV either, so you just have to kind of take it. But when you ask about why I love the podcast, it's because I can let people know who we are behind the scenes. Myself, Kevin Dillon, Kevin Connolly, and everybody else who's come on, and I think people are really seeing that we're not these assholes, that we're actually good buddies, and, and I was writing about my childhood and elements of Mark Wahlberg's, and, and we're actually a bunch of good people who just, you know, like to take care of our friends. I don't even understand, Doug. Like, I've done this a long time, too, and I've always tried to make the... I've always tried to make the point that, look, I, I say what I mean, I mean what I say, and it's a show, but I mean everything I say. I mean, it's real, but it's a show. Like, who's anybody to decide who or what we're like? Like, we don't know any of these people. Right. Like, some of the guys who you think are the best guys ever are actually some of the worst guys ever, and some of the worst guys ever are actually the best guys ever. I remember talking to your guys during that time because I love the show so much. They were all good dudes. Yep. Well, all except Rex, but I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> what happened with Rex? Oh, okay, I'm glad. If you want to know, I will tell you what happened with Rex. So you may or may not remember this. There, there was this weird thread, Doug, that when I, back in the day during your run with your show, I got on this crazy tangent where I was interviewing somebody named Rex every single day. It's just such an odd, peculiar name, right? But for just coincidentally, we had back-to-back shows where I interviewed athletes named Rex, and I'm like, I want to see if I can do it a third day, a fourth day, a fifth day. And I'm just, and it got to the point where it didn't even matter what they did or how random they were. I was interviewing anybody I could find in life named Rex. <laughs> and because it's a quirky name, they all kind of understood that. But the guy that I really wanted was Rex Lee because it was an actor from the show that I had not spoken to. Right. Dude, I got to tell you, like, I mean, respectfully, and I don't know where I'm going with this other than it was 15 years ago, this dude could not have been a bigger a-hole to me on the show. Really? And, oh, and I'm telling you, I, I've talked to some athletes that are not good dudes my man could not have been more arrogant more dismissive or more put off and i could not have been happier to meet and talk to this guy like it was not cool i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in and again you had your experience i can't dismiss it as we know we got to believe everybody you know but i think rex is a shy guy and the truth is i've actually learned more about rex since we started this podcast than i knew about him in the previous 20 years and i think he's kind of shy but um, I thought he hated, but Connolly and I thought he hated us before we did the podcast. And like, I'm like, are you going to text Rex? Am I going to text Rex? Does he like us? And then he didn't text us back for a couple of days. And Connolly's like, fuck him, he's an asshole. And then he came in and he just really revealed like some of his anxieties and things like that. And, and he's, he's good people, but I, I don't know what he did to you and I'm not going to dismiss that, but he's good people. Hey, listen, that, that's good enough for me. I mean, he didn't do me that wrong. He, <laughs> he was, he was arrogant. I was going to say to you, actually, once I got that off my chest, I've been meaning to tell you that for 15 years, I feel so much better. <laughs> I was going to say, was dude just having a bad day or is that his deal? Because that was not cool, but you just laid that out. I mean, if he did you guys like that, who am I to take offense when it was just a one-off? Well, by the way, I'm not even sure he did anything to us. I'm just like Connolly and I are are both like fiery tempers if someone doesn't respond to us the way we want we're like what a motherfucker you know but the truth is i i've really gotten to know rex over the last six months and he's he's good good people that's good enough for me i'll, I'll buy that so you know it's interesting i was talking to michael imperioli 
number of weeks back or a number of months back because he's doing something similar with yep. the Sopranos, and he had this phenomenon. Like, there was so much buzz. I want to ask you about this, Doug. Like, And I love, I'm glad that you're doing the podcast, and again, the narrative is changing. And let me just sidebar one more time because you're a sports fan. You'll understand this. I've never understood this whole notion of, like, a guy's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer. He doesn't get in. He doesn't get in. And then all of a sudden, after 15 years, they let him in. He hasn't played a game in 15 years. He hasn't added a single stat or a run or a hit. Like, what changed? What's changed about the show? But I guess... What what good is it going to do for you and I to fight that, right? I mean, it <laughs> well, is what I mean, it is. Listen, I got a bigger fight because Michael and Perioli, we did a pilot together and legitimately one of the best actors I've ever worked with and wow. one of the most pleasurable actors I've been around. And HBO fucking fucked me on this pilot. Eddie Burns, Michael Rappaport, and Michael Imperioli. I was so happy with this pilot when it was done, and they did not put it on the air, and I've never forgiven them for it. But uh, I love Imperioli. He's a genius. He really is. Yeah, oh, he's so good. And that HBO thing is fascinating to me, what you just said. And I'll follow that in a minute. But what I was going to ask about Imperioli, like, so when you see this buzz and this energy about Entourage right now, how much of that is about nostalgia and Hollywood? And then how much of that, for instance, is like your hardcore fans rediscovering the show during the pandemic with a new perspective? Or, or are you finding a whole new generation of younger fans? I mean, obviously, it's hard for me to say, like, from the, the confines of my bedroom where I spend the majority of my life at this point, but right. it feels like there's a whole new generation of fans, and it feels like the fans who kind of got quieted down by some of the noise of these critics are back up and really, like, positively speaking out about it. So, um, you know, I think, I think people are, and again, like I said, I have been watching it for the podcast like a fan, like I've never seen it. And I think the show holds up, and there's episodes I watch where it's like I had nothing to do with it, and I really love it. And I love the cast that I got, and I love the music that we had, and I love all the the cameos that we had. So, um, But I think a whole new generation is finding it, and I think the podcast has been a big leader for that, you know? I think that's fun. I think that's fun. That's really cool. Hey, you want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it gets even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. Namely, 99% of the places in the United States that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. Now, when we talk about guests and the cameos, like everybody who was anybody showed up on it. But to start this conversation, when you said to me, you probably have a process for booking guests. I don't really have that. I'm wondering about the early days. I mean, when you guys hit your stride, of course, everybody was going to come on the show. But maybe when you first started, it wasn't as easy to turn that A-lister to get to come on for a cameo. As an example, tell me the Bono story. How did you get Bono to come on the program? (laughs) It's so, so crazy. But I had written a scene for Dodger Stadium, and there was uh, they were smoking pot in it. So we got a call like a week or two weeks before that the Dodgers had declined it. And again, we're at the beginning here. We don't have a lot of power. Brian Burns, who's Eddie Burns' brother, was a writer on Entourage, and he's friendly with Bono. He knows them. They, they travel together. So I walked in in one of my bad moods, and I was like, Burns, why don't you fucking deliver something and get Bono? April 6th, my birthday at the Staples Center. Let's shoot it. I swear to you that was a joke. I'm like, there's no way this will ever happen. 
Burns calls back the next day. He's like, they're in. Now, to coordinate all of this was so unbelievably crazy. And then Bono to say, happy birthday, Johnny Drama, in Spanish. You know, on my, I don't know, 36th birthday or something like that. It was, it was a pretty magical moment. But Brian Burns made that happen, and Bono, obviously. Dude, how surreal was that shit? It was one of the most surreal moments of my life. I mean, it had to be. Like, you remember when you just said that when all the heat started to come down and your fans kind of got quashed by it, you know, then it was getting tougher and tougher. And again, I'm not trying to liken my situation to yours, but there's something somewhere that when I was coming up and I was different and people either wanted to kick my ass or they love me, you know who has your back and you know who's going to be there when the heat comes down. I'm really curious, and I'm not looking to start anything like with HBO, but when that thing started to turn, did you feel like, because if you're a creator and you're a talent and you're pushing the envelope and you're doing it in the name of art and doing well by your employer, you want to know that if it comes down, they're going to have your back. Like I know I've said shit and then my people did not have my back and it's not a great feeling. Did HBO have your back when that shit started to turn? Well, it didn't, you know, it didn't turn so much when the show was still on and obviously we did the movie after, but you know, in the last few years, I mean, I've seen, you know, I, I talk about it on the podcast, but HBO kind of had us hidden like three months ago. If you typed in ENTO, trying to find Entourage, Curb Your Enthusiasm was coming up. You know what I mean? Wow. And we've slowly moved as the podcast has grown. We've slowly moved into better categories. At one point, we were in inspirational architectural shows, which was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But now I think we finally made it into like the comedy stuff. But, you know, look. The people who were at HBO when I was there, Carolyn Strauss, Chris Albrecht, were absolutely amazing and incredible for my life and my career. But we all know, just like with athletes, it's a freaking business. And while the fact that they didn't put my next show on, which I had two, by the way. I had a show I did with Mike Tyson called The Brick that John Ridley wrote and and Spike Lee directed that they did not pick up. We shot a pilot with John Boyega playing a a version of of, uh, Mike Tyson. And then the thing I did with Imperioli and Eddie Burns. So there's no, there was no loyalty. There was no, oh, you did this, so we'll give you a shot of this. So that's how it is. And, you know, it's kind of fine, but I kind of hate them all at the same time, you know? No, yeah, I do know. I, I understand that. I, I think I do understand that. So, like, not to get ahead of myself, but, I mean, you're having a good time with this, and there's a lot of energy behind this. I mean, the obvious question, is it time for a reboot? Is it time to bring the show back? I mean, that's an HBO question. I mean, I'm supposed to, I'm working on this show. I actually just got off of Zoom with London. I'm supposed to do kind of, it's a show in the Premier Football League with, I'm doing it with Thierry Henry, and it kind of gets me back to what I like to do, which is family and friendship stories. So I'm supposed to do that. But whereas seven months ago, I would have said I'll never be involved with anything entourage related again. If HBO was interested and all the guys were down, I, of course I would do it. You know, I mean, we're just having such a good time with, with this thing. But again, like, listen, you, you were a big inspiration to me. I've listened to you for years and years. And what I wanted to do with this when Connolly said it, I said, I, wanna, I don't want to talk. I want to talk to everybody. So we've had Andrew Whitworth from the Rams and Jordan Belfort, the Wolf of Wall Street, and Charlie, you know, obviously was not related to Entourage. So I want to step out of that and get lots of cool people coming on this thing. We had James Andrew Miller, who's a great writer. So it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun outside of that. But, yeah, if somehow we could put 
the group back together, that would be great. I'm really humbled that you said that I was something of a motivating force for you, Doug. I really appreciate that. That's a really, really nice thing to say and a really humbling thing to say. I'm kind of curious, like, you understand this as well as anybody, that the best interviews are not, in fact, interviews at all. They are conversations. Yep. And podcasts work best when they're anecdotal and guys are focused and they want to be there. I, I'm really curious, like, how do you see this it, in business and as a product and as content. I mean, I, it seems to me like you're really into this. Yeah, well, I mean, I see it as a chance for all of the things, for everybody. You know, the way the Internet has changed the world and, you know, it's been the democratization of talent that can do things on their own without these gatekeepers. And, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say I, I'm some victim who couldn't get somewhere, but we all know how difficult it is to make it in this business. We all know what you did, especially doing it, during traditional times where you've got to work your way up and you've got to be spotted by the right guy who goes, Jim is going to be great at this. Now you can just go do it. And if people are interested in hearing what you have to say, you can start that career with a couple of bucks. So I love the idea of the podcast, but also what it does for everything else. So like the other show that I'm working on, I can start getting the word out about that early and I can start getting people who finance things about whatever product you know it is. And I'm sure you know... Jake Steinfeld, who's my boy, Body by Jake, but like, you know, he's got a, 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 an energy drink coming out, and I can talk about that and, and try to, like I did on Entourage, where we, you know, we, we had this tequila company that I had my boys build on the side, you know, it, I, can, I can build those things in this, so I think there's so many platforms that the podcast can lead to, and that's not just if your podcast is really successful. I think you can target your audience and kind of make things work with that. So I, I, I love the idea of not having to answer to whoever those people are that are above that get to decide, oh, you know what? We don't like Entourage anymore. We'll cancel it. You know, so I, I think it's great. Yes, and you nailed that. You you answer that so perfectly. It's not that case of brick and mortar anymore, and having to have somebody say thumbs up or thumbs down. You're the guy. You're no longer the guy. I mean, take that thing right to market. Go directly to the consumer. Content is so different. But I mean, I'm not saying that. I don't want to be that boomer and that old guy who says, "Get the fuck off my lawn." <laughs> but man, there was something dug about back in the day, wasn't it? Like before there was content on demand. Man, the fact that we used to make it a point to watch the show when it aired yep. and it was kind of an event thing like again i'm being kind of nostalgic but that was a pretty fucking fun time wasn't it it was of course but you know it, it kept a lot of people out of the system and a lot of talented people and mm. you know I, I mean there's nothing like it i mean i'm trying to remember the last show like sopranos was really the last show that i was running home to like i have to see it i don't want anyone to tell me what's happening so of course i'll always miss those times but i also hated waiting for the following week also you know well, yeah, and even worse than that, when the season ended. When the season ended, yeah. like how many episodes, you'd count the episodes, like, hey, when are these guys coming back? Right. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course you are. But you're not going to have a good workout and then give it all back with a shake or a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak in quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is also a family-owned business that takes their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating an old shoe. You ever buy an old shoe in a bag? Of course not. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal. Four amazing flavors. 
Look for it in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality that you're purchasing. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, ask for it by name. No other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Let me just go off topic really quickly. I'm really curious, really curious about you and how you feel about this. Did you, because you are a huge sports fan, did you happen to follow the whole Jake Paul, Ben Askren pay-per-view thing the other night? I did, yeah. I mean, not follow it, like, in detail. And, and again, it's, uh, you know, I'm a boxing fan, so I like real boxing, and I don't want to even debate it. I don't want to fight either of them, but it's not, it's not really my thing, you know, no, and I think it's great marketing. And, again, like, this kid is marketing himself in any avenue that he wants to do, and I give him nothing but credit for that. If I could somehow figure out a way that I could get to go play point the Knicks and make a living at it, I mean, I would kill to do that. So, you know, I, I can't do, do anything but go, wow, my hat's off to you. But is it something that, like, I'm excited to watch? No. No, this is what I'm asking you exactly. I mean, I don't even need you to break down what it means from an athletic standpoint, but I am really curious about what you just said. Like, I'm a little bit older than you, but you and I came up in similar ways when it comes to sports. Like, we were about the super fights, Hagler, Hearns, Hearns, Leonard, Ali Frazier. Now in boxing, Doug, like, not only are these fights rarely made, but I can't help but wonder what I saw Saturday night, whatever the fuck that was, could it actually eclipse actual fights because of the enormous following that these YouTubers and TikTokers have and the influence they have. That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, what do you make of the spectacle? And is it only going to get bigger and bigger? I think it's going to get bigger. And I think the real problem is in the major sports. I I just don't, I don't know where all this is headed, where you have these guys who can create these super teams. And again, I'm not judging them. If I was if I was Kevin Durant or James Harden, I want to win a title, and I want to play with the best guys in the world. I, like, it's like in, uh, you know, when I'm doing a TV show, I don't want to hire mediocre guys and make it fair for other people. I want the best situation ever. But the power that the players are getting, which I'm not even saying is wrong, that's, you know, that's what they have. I don't know where it leads. I don't know where it leads for the, the small market teams. I, can't, I couldn't imagine who would want to go to Minnesota 15 years ago, but who would ever go there now? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all happens. But to me, it's all the same thing. The world is going to choose what they want to watch and what they want to see. Hopefully people are going to appreciate the really skilled fighters always. But there is something to say. I want to see my favorite star fight. You know what I mean? Like I would have liked that 15 years ago if I go, you know what I'd like to see? Brad Pitt and Robert De Niro get in the fucking ring. That would be sick. So I, I cannot judge them negatively. It's just what the world wants and that's what you got to feed. So uh, Exactly. That's what I was going to say, Doug. So if that's what the world wants and you got to feed the beast, where do people like us fit in? Do we give them what, we, what they want or do we stay true to ourselves? Or is there something in between? Like how do we fit in now? Well, we're going to see what happens, obviously, but I feel a lot better than I did a year and a half ago where I was getting locked into a box of I'm the guy who did this. And like I said, I try to do the brick with Mike Tyson. I had a Harriet Tubman movie with Viola Davis, and I think the Variety wrote an article seven years ago, or Hollywood Reporter, one of them, like, how dare Doug Ellen be anywhere near Harriet Tubman? And I was just... I was just trying to shepherd it as a producer because it was important to me to, to make something important that my daughter at the time could see. So you get locked into a box, and I think what's interesting, whether you like Portnoy or Joe Rogan or not, they're basically saying, 
I'm going to do what I do, and there are people out there who are interested in it, whether you like it or not. I hope that I can find that kind of audience because, you know, I like to be true to who I am, and, and that sometimes makes Dylan and Connolly nervous when we're doing the podcast because I say things that they think are a little, you know, more controversial than they might want to be, but I'm trying my best to just not think about what anybody likes or anybody wants and just kind of doing what I do, and hopefully it works out. It's not, it's not going to work out for everybody when you do that. So. Yeah, Doug, like what, for instance? Like, what do you, I, I'm, I'm having this conversation with you, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, my man's going to come off the rails any second now. Like, what do you say or do that makes those guys nervous? I, you know, like if I say that the HBO canceled us, mm. where it, for years we've been like, yeah, we decided it was time to end the show. Where if like Colin Coward is on fucking TV last week talking that Entourage is not good for some reason, show's been off the air for five years. So then I, I talk about how bad I think he is and always did. So, you know, now he's got a bigger platform than me where that resonates or reverberates. They don't really want to start battles with people. And to be honest with you, I'm not trying to start battles with anybody. I just, I like to defend myself when people attack me. And for years, there was no way to do that. You know, I would have to sit back while four years after the show comes out. Was Entourage the worst television show ever made? I'm like, what in the fuck is this? Who woke up this morning and decided that this was an article that should be written anywhere, you know? Yes, I do know. And, you know, in athletes' defense, you're right. They never had a way to fire. Nobody had a way really back in the day to fight back, and now everybody does, and the world is so different. I mean, I wonder, like, what would the show have been like if there was social media back then? I mean, I think of the shit that I used to do. You know why my show was great back then? And it's still good now. It's still good, and I'm still hungry, Doug, and I still want it pretty badly. In fact, I want it really badly. But the show was really fucking good when I could say and do whatever the fuck I wanted. <laughs> you go after Jim Everett. I mean, like, I remember sitting in my apartment when that happened, and I was like, okay, this guy is not afraid to fucking go out and do what he wants to do. And I think you can do that more than ever now. It's just a question of whether people are going to flock to it or not. And I can't answer who's going to come to us or not. I mean, when we started the podcast, you know, I think we had like 300 downloads in the first one, and now we just, we're about to cross three and a half million. So the word is spreading. And again, I am not, this is not an antagonistic show. It's a fun, like, hour with your friends. But you know, I like to speak on what I speak of. And when someone criticizes me, I like to at least respond, you know? Yes, I do know. And look, you and I both know, I don't care who you are. If you show up somewhere, anywhere, X will love, X will hate. And no matter what, if you even if you try never to alienate somebody, you will alienate somebody with that attitude. Yep. Before you go, what about like when, when Wahlberg first brought the idea to you and you had already done content and shows about Hollywood. And, and I know you'll say to me, the show was not necessarily about Hollywood per se, but when it first came to you, did it feel like it was a show about Hollywood, and what did you think of the idea then? I mean, you know, like I said, my first instinct is to always, like, find the negative. That's like my neurotic Jewishness in me and whatever. When Mark Wahlberg came to me and I had no job and nothing going on, the fact that I was like, yeah, I don't really want to watch a show about losers who follow a movie star around, it was just stupid insecurities. I mean, when Mark Wahlberg comes to you, you go, okay, how do I get involved with this guy? That's the smart thing to do. But uh, my first reaction, which I think hopefully eventually made the show what it was, was I don't get that lifestyle because it's not a lifestyle I lead. But what I did get is I have best friends since I'm eight years old that are still my best friends. And that's what really interested me. And Mark was, I mean, Mark was so amazing because for whatever reason, he trusted me to, to 
to do it and do it well. And he was very hands off, except for when we needed him. And then he brought in the, the big guns, like bringing him and Tom Brady when when Eli Manning fucked me over at the last minute, and you know things like that. So, so I think that was more of my insecurities than anything else because. I don't think Mark wanted to do a Hollywood show, and I definitely didn't. I wanted to do a friendship show set in Hollywood. So, how did Eli fuck you over? What was he thinking or doing at that time? I mean, listen, I, I like I, you know he's got a big platform, and I hate it. I'm a diehard Giants fan, but I was at the Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots. I'm sitting at my desk. The phone rings. My own, my cell phone rings, and it's Eli Manning of my favorite team, and who just won the Super Bowl. He wants to be on the show. What do you think I'm going to say? Just like when LeBron James called and said he wanted to be on the show. You're on the show. So I write a whole script. You know, at some point somebody says I should put Peyton in it as well. I write the whole thing. I start calling Eli back. No return call. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I finally call agents, and I'm like, yo, what the fuck? We're supposed to shoot in like four weeks. The guy is not calling me back, and he hasn't even read the script. If he doesn't like it, that's one thing, but there's nothing. So his agent said, you know, they, they had, now it's a year later. I think they lost to the Vikings in the playoffs. He said, Eli really wants to focus on football. I'm sure you understand. And I basically was like, no, I don't understand shit. He may, be, he may be richer than me. He may be more famous than me. But I work just as fucking hard as him. And to write a script that works for Eli Manning was not that easy. So I'm in the office losing my mind because I don't know how I'm going to solve this problem. And Wahlberg was there, which is not normal for him to be at the office. And he's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I, these guys just fucked me. I'm not sure what to do. He said, what if I'm Brady and I do it? I said, all right, that'll solve all the problems. And that's what we did, you know? God, dude, that is such a fucking amazing story. And <laughs> y- yes, I mean, I've, that's always been my thing. I, if the answer is no, that's fine, man. Just say no, because if everybody says yes, I know I'm not doing my job. But don't say yes and then change your mind or not show but or Jim, ghost he us. he called me. Right, call even worse. Him. Even as much as I loved Eli, I didn't go... Eli is like this great talent that I need in front of the camera. Strahan, who I put on the show, was a great talent that needed to be in front of the camera. I'm not sure Eli did, but when you get that call, it's like a childhood dream, you know? I mean, you know, when Teixeira, I mean, Mark Teixeira is a friend of mine. He got us Yankee Stadium to film at. I mean, so these types of things are very meaningful to me. I'm in Yankee Stadium with my kids and all of my high school friends and their kids filming a scene at the stadium. So those things were really important to me. So when the Super Bowl winning quarterback of the New York Giants wants to be on the show, I'm going to bust my ass and figure out a way to make it work, you know? Oh, dude, I know. I know because don't we all have a story about what happened when we met one of our heroes or one of the guys we admired most or one of our favorite guys? Sometimes it goes really well and you can run on that forever. And then sometimes your guy or gal or whoever it is motherfucks you and it's the yep. worst thing ever and you never forget it, right? Yep. Yep. I understand that. So, I, I, you know, I should let it go, but uh, I really did. I, I stopped. Uh, I said I won't root for the Giants again until Eli's off the team. I mean, it was depressing, but that's what it was. Dude, can I tell you really quickly, really quickly, and not take up too much of your time, but a similar story. Like, my favorite band ever in the history of the world is The Replacements. I mean, I absolutely love this right? band. And their lead guy, Paul Westerberg, was like my musical idol. And they call me up, and they're like, we're going to release a Greatest Hits album, and he's got a new single for it, and they want to break it on your radio show like how fucked up is that hey a sports talk show but it meant the world to me i'm hyping it i'm hyping it i'm hyping it i'm hyping it and then the day of he no shows and i'm like are you kidding me uh, but then again the thing about that 
subject. I love the guy for the rock star bullshit that he used to pull until he pulled it on me, right, and then I right. didn't like it at all. Right. And then, so my favorite band that I, I can't live without, I swear, I will never listen to them ever again. Luckily, we came together, <laughs> and I started listening again, but just to share that with you, I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, with music, you can at least go, I can separate the music and this, but it was really hard to I watch, couldn't. especially when they were terrible, and I'm no, watching... No, I couldn't, though. That's my whole point. I couldn't separate the music <laughs> from the guy, because the guy did me, and I took that personally as well, right. but it's all's well that ends well. I think it motivates us, though. I like it. I mean, honestly, people think I'm, it's unhealthy for me to hold these grudges. I think it actually works for me, and now at least like you, who always did it, at least I have a platform to say it. Even if no one's listening, I feel like I can speak, you know? No, hey, listen, I, I, first of all, if you run on that kind of fuel, and, and by the way, who doesn't? When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Like this whole thing about Trevor Lawrence right now, we had this conversation today because he went on record as saying, I do not have a chip on my shoulder. And then everybody said, oh, he must not want it. He must not want it. We're not all the same, right? The guy, he's one on every single level. But wouldn't you tell me the way you came up and for whatever you took personally that you did run on that fuel and that's part of what made you great? I know I had a chip on my shoulder and I know I wouldn't have gotten anywhere without it personally. To be honest, when, when I'm calm and happy, I get nowhere. When I'm angry, that's when I usually do good stuff. And, you know, it's like the ju- I, I'm by the way, let's make it clear. I'm not comparing myself to Jordan. But when, before the doc came out, everyone was talking about how awful it was going to make Michael look. Now, I'm a, a diehard Knicks fan who's hated Michael my whole life. Well, after I watched that doc, I'm like, I fucking love the guy. I mean, that's who I want on my team. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. You identify with that because you run on a similar fuel. Now, you know, I'll tell you what I really, really like about this. I like this whole thing a lot. I, I love this conversation. I really like that you really like that platform because every motherfucker in the world is now looking to plant their flag somewhere. Oh, I got a podcast. Yeah, I know. And to your point, the, the point of entry, the cost of entry is nothing, man. Yep. You just show up and you just do it. I can tell you, you really appreciate the platform and the content and the fact that you have a voice and you can use it and you've got something to say and you can use it to help maneuver and promote and do what you have to do. What I'm saying to you is this is very genuine. I can hear it. It's authentic. You do like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, when Which I sit cool. down and start thinking about like, this show and writing scripts again and sitting in my house by myself, it's not nearly as exciting when I'm going to have Mike Tyson come on the podcast and I get to talk to him with Whitworth or Belfort. I mean, it just, I, I do it. I love, I love interesting people and whether, you know, whether they, they've committed crimes or whether they're the best in the world at what they do. I like talking to those people and I do admire them. And, uh, you know, um, that is far more exciting to me than, than staring at the blank page, which has tortured me for 30 years, you know? So let me finally ask you this, then. I mean, clearly you've lost none of your heat. I don't think that, as far as I can tell. I mean, you, you still have that fire and that heat. I am really curious about process, though. I mean, you're right. Looking at a blank page is really unnerving. I do it myself sometimes. In fact, more than I like care to admit. I'm curious, though, about your process. Like, you're not going into the office with that buzz and the energy and the suits, and you're doing it from your house in a lot of ways. What's your process like now? Now, how creative are you in that environment? You know what? It really is because of the podcast. I'm highly creative. I'm doing some animated stuff with the guys and all of that. The, the show, which, you know, is out of London and 
That's a different thing. It's, it's tough to motivate every day for that. It's a much harder thing for me to do. You know, I am, I've always said it. I'm not, the Aaron, I'm not comparing even the quality of my work, but Aaron Sorkin or, or Stephen King, these guys are able to produce incredible amounts of material that is excellent in short amounts of time. I'm just not. Like, it's a lot a harder process for me. I'm a procrastinator. And, you know, what I, what I always knew in my life was I'm, a, I'm more of a talker. So it's just fun for me, so it excites me. So when I get into this and we're talking about all the other things that we could do, or you know, that excites me. When I get into the conversations, just like with Mark 20 years ago, the first reaction to him coming to a show had nothing to do with what he was bringing me. It had to do with me being like, God, can I really pull that off? How am I going to figure out all of this stuff and make it happen for eight seasons? It, it, when I, even when I look back at it, I kind of go, I don't know how that happened. It's almost like a blur. But when I get on the mic, like you, I just I feel a very natural feeling, and I feel like for the first time in my life, it's like I'm doing something that I love doing and making some money at it as opposed to doing something that I don't like and chasing the money. So, you know, it's like what I always hoped, as I said, and again, I was never a, a great athlete. I was a good, slow Jewish athlete, but that's what I wanted in my life. I wanted to play sports, and nobody was ever going to pay me anything. They were going to pay me not to play sports. So um, I feel like I, I found something now, how successful it will or will not be, we'll see, but that I actually love doing. So, uh, Yeah, I should walk off on that. But I, but I can't. I got to ask you one thing that I thought about that I meant to ask you. When I know that maybe your default setting was to say no always to things. But if you really didn't have a job and you were a young young guy when you ran that show and you created that show, you're in your 30s. If you didn't have a job and you were a young guy and Wahlberg rolls up on you and says, "Hey man, you're the guy. I want you to do this." How did you tell him no initially? I mean, you know, listen. Mark was a friend, and his manager Steve Levinson, who really came to me with it, was my friend from college. So it was more of a like, I just don't like the idea, which I've done, I've done for a decade, which is terribly self-destructive and stupid. But Lev was really great in saying, you know, go home and figure it out. And when I start obsessing, that's when things happen. And that's why it is so difficult. I mean, whether, again, everyone could judge entourage however they want, but it was, it was 24-7 for me. I'd be waking up at 4 in the morning thinking about ideas and how to make them work and all of this stuff. So, um but there was no rhyme or reason for me to say I didn't like the idea. <laughs> the smart thing would have been like, I'll figure it out. How can I get in it? But I think because my process is that, it made me go really deep into this and go, how can I make this something really special and not just trade off of Mark's name and really do something that hopefully will last, you know? Yes. So was it a blessing or a curse or both, or does it depend when I ask? Oh, it was a, a million percent a blessing. Great. I'm just not sure... I'm now 53 and, and looking at starting it again. I'm not sure that I want the next 12 years as great as that was to be that, you know. So, but it was an amazing blessing, life-changing blessing, and, um, you know, so, uh, but we'll see. You never know what the future is. I, I just think as you get into your 50s, you start realizing that you really want to, 
as much as you can, we all got to make money and pay the bills, but as much as you can, you really want to enjoy what you're doing on a daily basis. You know, uh, I'm in that same decade. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think, Doug, I really think this is the first time we've done this because I would, I don't remember everything, but I certainly would remember this. I imagined I was on the show because I listened to you so often. I'm like, I had to have been on there, no? <laughs> I don't think, man. I don't think, but I'm so glad. Better late than never. At least we're not underground yet. And <laughs> not yet. By the way, yep. I, by the way, I'm really pretty fucking happy with that conversation. I hope you are too. That was an absolute blast. Yeah, no, I love talking to you, and I love, by the way, you say you got the fire, you got the same fire that you always had, and I love it, and, and keep going, and anytime, you know, you want to talk, and uh, it was great, though. Let's Thank do you. it. It was great. Listen, good luck with the podcast. It's a great listen. I'm going to encourage everybody listening to this to go yeah, find Victory that podcast. podcast. Victory the Podcast. Look for that wherever you get your podcast. Victory the Podcast. Doug, appreciate you so much. That was an absolute blast. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care, Jim. My guy, huge thanks to Doug Allen. How good was that? Stories for days. Super engaging, brilliant on Rex Lee and Eli Manning. I loved it. Make sure to check out his new side project, Victory the Podcast. There's plenty more where that came from over there. And plenty more of everything else over here. In fact, 170 other episodes. They all hold up. Make sure you get subscribed and do a deep dive to the back catalog. You'll be happy you did. Thank you so much for listening. We're back next week with Ep 172. Until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. I just wanted to thank you for having Elk on the podcast ahead of the Masters because I went ahead and joined the Secret Golf Masters Tournament on his app. And guess who won? I won. Thanks to the conversation you had, I stayed far away from science. I love when you talk hockey. But I love winning U.S. dollars. Message saved. Next message. What's up, Vance Mac? It's Brady in Rochester. Now, I know Chris Beard is on the cutting edge when it comes to basketball, but he's like a caveman when it comes to breakfast sandwiches if he's still talking about the Egg McMuffin. I mean, didn't the Chris Sandwich make the McMuffin obsolete years ago? I don't really even eat fast food, but I still know this. Anyways, I'm going to stick with my Pop-Tarts. See you, Jim. Message deleted. Next message. Pimp in the box. Yeah, this is Cabrera from the Bay. Are you fucking kidding me talking about fucking Buffalo Bills fan right now? Fucking taking beer shots out of each other's ass crack? Are you fucking kidding me right now, Jim Rome? I'm sitting here watching this shit on fucking TV before I go to work, and I had to fucking call and say, dude, are you fucking killing me? Buffalo Bills fan, you fucking guys fucking beat Cleveland Browns fans. What the fuck? So you basically telling me that you're drinking beer shit, man. Are you telling me that's what you drinking beer shit? That shit just don't make no fucking sense. And then you say fucking rolling up dollar bills toward cocaine? God damn. This is ridiculous, bro. Ass beer. Shit beer. Oh, well. Have a good one. Peace. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Romy. It's Don in Portland. Hey, I just wanted to let you know I've been listening to you since you first were syndicated in Portland, I think around 1996. It's been 25 years. was a young college graduate at that time. Now I'm about to turn 50, so about half my life. You gave me great entertainment. Just wanted to give you props and let you know I appreciate you and your podcast as well. And keep it going as long as you can. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. My name's Julie. I want to thank you for the horse talk on the show. After the show, I rewatched Misdirections, Breeders' Cup races, 
and then I watched Shared Belief v. Chrome. It's just unbelievable. My um, favorite time of year was in the fall when we went to the yearling coming two-year-old sales to pick out our next trainees. Been retired for a long, long time now. But every fall, I still get those chills of going to those sales and looking for those next trainee yearlings. And I was never in it for the money, but for the love of the horses. And it's just a passion that just doesn't ever go away. And I really appreciate it hearing you talk about it, especially when the good horses cross that finish line with their ears pricked forward. That's just such a wonderful thing to see. I love it. Thanks for the line. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. I don't think there's been an athlete ever. That's flip-flop faster than Ben Askren. I mean, let's be real. After the Masvidal fight, we all really didn't like Ben Askren. We didn't know him. Then he comes on your show, and the guy is awesome, man. What a funny, cool dude. And then after the fight, now everyone hates him again. An incredible 36 hours. Me, personally, I don't mind the guy. He said what he was going to do. He was going in there, get a paycheck, and leave. He has no shame. So, you know what? Don't hate the guy for taking home a half a mil. Message saved. Next message. I know you're hurting, and I plan to empathize. But first, I got to deal with these devils and their lies. We got to organize, spread love, and amplify, and give hope to the weak, lift the spirits, energize. Speaking positive to you helps me bandage my own wound, because I'm struggling myself. I hope you sing me back my tune. You know it's true, the soul in you, and of course the soul in me, craves that reciprocity, emanated and received. Hip-hop is still my speed. That's just how I came to be. Holy Ghost, I'm taking over. I'm not even driving, see? Next line's a mystery. It's like life. It's all right. To all my warriors, fight. Speak up and shed light. Empower to the people. Message and mucho amor. Con mi fe en Dios mío, no terminaré un perdedor. Message deleted. You have no more messages.